Friends, what a fantastic day of ministry yesterday, eh? We had a good time uh, learning God's Word together in the morning uh, as we did it. I, I just wonder what that was like for those of you that were able to be there and to uh, participate. Was it, to, in fact, a good time? Uh, was it a figment of my imagination? Uh, did you learn? Did you grow? Did you enjoy it? Were you enriched by the fellowship? Uh, I guess those are the questions that I are asking. I would like to know uh, your thoughts to uh, what it was like yesterday morning uh, as we we did our service as we did it yesterday. Just curious what your uh, what your take on it 
would be. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a few of your thoughts, uh, that would be most excellent. I, I Because I would like to know uh, what it was like for you in the and in case you're listening, wondering, what did we do? Because some of you might be going, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Uh, is rather than sitting in pews, which we no longer have pews, we have chairs. We had people sit at tables. And instead of there being a sermon uh, where I put people to sleep, uh, they sat and read scripture together and highlighted uh, things out of the nature and names of Jesus uh, at their tables. And, and that was the sermon. And discovery in the scriptures together. So just kind of wondering how, how that was for folks. Um, I mean, we're not going to do it all the time, obviously, but uh, just something a little different to uh, give you an opportunity to, to grow in a different fashion. And so I'm curious uh, how that went for you, how that worked for you. Um, this morning we are looking at the book of Mark, and we're picking up at uh, Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. Just realized they don't have my Bible open yet. We had a, a, about 20 people last night at our Sunday night uh, Walk Like Jesus study, and we had a phenomenal time together there as well. Again, that's me saying that. It doesn't matter what I say. It's what other people say what other people think, what other people experience that really matters. So, again, I would love to hear uh, any any inputs there uh, from you. Um, Mark 3. Mark 3, picking up, I'm going to go to verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed them. They couldn't really escape from the people who wanted more of what Jesus had to offer. It says, when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are uh, the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. He wanted to communicate his own message. He didn't want them doing it uh, on his behalf. He wanted to to make sure and make sure Make sure the message was clear about who he is. So he told them to be silent. Now, right after that, we notice he went out to the lake. Notice where Jesus is doing ministry here. Verse 13 says, Then he went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Listen, uh, look at where he did ministry. He did ministry beside the lake. He did ministry. So you could do ministry on the... Uh, rail trail, uh, which isn't beside a lake, it's beside the river, which is beside the bay, which is beside the ocean. Uh, you could do a walk across the bridge, and disciple-making can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to just happen in a church. Uh, it can happen at your home. It can happen uh, on a walk. Uh, on uh, Friday night, I had uh, 
young man named Josh come over. No, not Friday night, Thursday night, come over uh, to our new house and was helping me put up some fencing for our dogs. And I was trying to, you know, do do disciple making discipleship then talking about biblical verses and thoughts and so on and uh, and talking about fence and talking about hunting and talking. But in the midst of life, we make disciples uh, because discipleship is a part of life. And, and just, just thinking of where Jesus did ministry, we tend to think it has to be at the church. It can be at the community center down, downtown moral. It can happen there. Uh, it can happen... Uh, at the United Farmers Market in Belfast. It can happen uh, at City Park. Uh, it can happen uh, it, at the town office. It can happen any number of different places uh, where discipleship can happen. So we see Jesus, he, went, he was at the mountain, and then he says in chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew to his disciples to a lake. Sorry. He went to the lake, that's verse 7, and then down in verse 13, he went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Notice that he didn't call everybody. This this was a smaller group of people down in verse 13. Um, and then among that group he called, he says he appointed 12. It doesn't say he only took 12 up on the mountain and he called to to him, those he wanted, they came to him. He appointed 12, and he designated them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He knew that not everyone had apostle qualities. Uh, he knew that not everyone would have the ability to carry out the responsibilities of an apostle. Uh, in fact, even some of those that he called to be apostles would end up in the end denying him. And uh, I think a.k.a. Judas Iscariot would deny him. But nonetheless, he appointed. And, and for us, there's a ministry lesson in that. Sometimes we're going to appoint people to ministry and they're going to do splendidly. Other times we're going to appoint people to ministry and they're going to they're going to fail. So don't think oh I'm a bad leader because I I appointed somebody who failed. Jesus appointed somebody who failed in most stellar fashion when he appointed Judas Iscariot. So as a leader if if you appoint somebody into ministry or you appoint somebody at, at the workplace maybe you're a, a leader in the marketplace, and you appoint somebody to to take over for you, and uh, or to be a part of the team, and they fail. <laughs> Jesus had failure on his team, and I only share this because sometimes we think, "Well, I've got to, I've got to nail it every single time." And the fact of the matter is, Jesus knew that Judas would fail him. Jesus knew in advance that that uh, Judas was the one marked as the son of perdition. Jesus knew this, and yet he appointed him among the 12. We're not always going to get it right. There will be some people appointed into leadership in churches that really don't have what it takes to, to be the leader or a leader. Uh, there will be people who are appointed uh, 
you know, in the marketplace uh, who really don't have what it takes. We don't always nail it. Now, now in our day, we have all kinds of uh, rubrics and tests and assessments and things, especially in the marketplace. We don't do it so much in the church. I think we could and we should. But um, especially in the marketplace, there are all kinds of there are personality assessments, team building assessments, educational assessments, competency certifications, so on and so forth that, that kind of builds out the portfolio, builds the resume in the educational realm, builds the CV, uh, curriculum vitae, um, what you've taught, what you've done as an educator. Uh, and we look at those things, but just because you have a whole bunch of things on your resume or because you have a whole bunch of things on your vitae does not mean that necessarily you're competent, doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you're going to be the person for the job. I bring this all out because we see Jesus appointing. He calls up several with him, and among those, and this is my take on it, among those and from among those, he appoints the 12, as it says here in verse 13. He appointed 12, designated them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, here is an interesting caveat of discussion. Um. We tend to think that everyone, and for the record, I lean this direction. I, I think this direction. I believe this direction. Um, we tend to think that everybody has the authority to drive out demons. And some of you are going, yes, yes, that's absolutely right, yes. However, I want to point out from... Uh, just a cursory reading of this text that not all were given authority to drive out demons. He had given the 12 the authority to drive out demons. It was not something in this instance that he gave to all of his followers. He gave it particularly to the apostles. And so some will have a theology that, that says, uh, you know, dealing with demons was really something only for the apostles in their day. Some will conclude that very narrowly, uh, that, that it was only for those apostles, and their narrow definition of apostle is those who were actually with Jesus because they will take it from the verse in verse 14 where it says that they might be with him. And so... Uh, some would narrowly define apostles as those who were with Jesus, and they were the ones, uh, the only ones who had the authority to drive out demons. Now, I want to point out something to you. Uh, do we have preachers in our day? Do we have people who, who are evangelists in our day? Certainly we do. And the reason I'm bringing that out is, uh, in verse 14, it says this. He appointed the 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him. We're still called to be with Jesus today. Uh, and that he might send them out to preach. People are still sent out to preach today. Uh, that is still a that is still a reality that, that people are still sent out to preach today. Uh, and so why do we have to limit the, 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 the driving out of demons 
only to those in Jesus' day. Again, some scholars, some uh, would take the approach that would say that this was only for them. Now, it can be true. Uh, in in I, I talked about the narrow definition of apostle only in that day, and that only those in that day were given the ability to drive out demons and perform miracles. That's a very, very narrow definition of, of what's taking place here. The other uh, end of the spectrum is that everybody has the calling and the ability and the authority uh, and the gifting to preach and to drive out demons. That that It's for everybody to preach all the time. It's for everybody to drive out demons all the time. Well, that is the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, and a more centrist view on this would be that there are those among us he is called to preach. I am one who has been called to preach and to teach uh, as I do. Uh, and, and with that, uh, I certainly would concur that there are those who have been giving this, given the spiritual authority to drive out demons. Uh, I would certainly concur with that, and I believe in the reality of demons. I believe in the reality of angels. The Bible speaks from stem to stern, from cover to cover, about the reality, literally from cover to cover, uh, about the reality of angels and of demons and the satanic world and the spiritual forces. You, you read about it. The a bulk of the book of Revelation is about those types of things. Um, and, and I believe that there are those who have a, a unique spiritual authority to be able to drive out demons and to be able to preach with power. There's a special anointing upon them. Uh, and I believe that that is for some to whom God has given it. Now, let me let me go one step further. I've already said this. I do believe that you and I, friends, have spiritual authority uh, over our enemy. I believe that, that any of us can have the spiritual authority to drive out demons. Now, that is not something we should take lightly. Uh, it is something that we should uh, approach with with great trepidation. I'm not going to say fear and trepidation, but with trepidation, the idea of, of caution and respect, um, because it, it is a world into which we enter in which there is incredible power, spiritual power. There is physical power. There is all kinds of power. Uh, in 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 the demonic, in the angelic realm, and when we go treading there, uh, we we need to do so with great caution. And, and there are places you can read about the 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 seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, who were willy nilly with the name of Jesus, and they they thought, oh, we're going to cast the demon out of this guy, and the the, the guy who was possessed by demons, throttled them and left them running out of the house naked and bruised because this this demon-possessed person just throttled them like crazy. If you're going to be involved in this, and, of course, some of you have seen the movie The Exorcist and Exorcist Two, and some of those different movies along that line, uh, to, to understand the power. I don't think you need to have crosses and nails and garlic 
and silver bullets. Now I guess I'm getting into the vampire world there. You just need to have the name of Jesus and know who you are very definitively know who you are in Christ and be right with Christ as you deal with the demonic world. It, it is a reality. So in these first couple verses, verses 13 through 15, he went up the mountainside. He called several with him. He appointed 12, 12 that would be the, the apostles. Um, he, he was going to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, I, I've kind of given you the spectrum of theological thought there, that there are those who uh, believe it was only for those in that day to whom Jesus spoke, the original 12, that's all it was for. But then then I've given the other end that some think that it's for everybody, and I, I think that preaching is not for everybody. I think people need to be gifted and called to preach. Now, I do think the Holy Spirit can give anybody the ability to preach uh, in unique circumstances, just like I would believe the Holy Spirit could give anybody the ability to speak in a foreign language when the necessity of communicating the gospel uh, was there, when it was necessary, and, and it was the opportune time. I, If you want to call that speaking in tongues, I believe the Holy Spirit can do that in unique settings. So he can uniquely empower somebody to communicate the gospel through preaching uh, or or through speaking in a different language that, uh, that, the, that the hearer would understand. Uh, I believe the Holy Spirit can do those things. I believe all believers uh, have authority over, over our enemy. Uh, I believe that... Uh, we are told to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, in our study of Jude, uh, which we did a few months back, we were also, also told not to deal in the demonic realm uh, in a willy-nilly fashion, not to speak abusively. Book of Jude, remember it's only one chapter and, and it was one of the verses that we covered. So to understand our authority. So today, if you're feeling weighed down, oppressed by the adversary, tell him to flee in the name of Jesus. Uh, resist the devil, There's, and he will flee from you. You're, you're resisting him, saying, devil, I'm not going to give in to you. I'm going to look to the Spirit of God to fill and to empower me. I'm not going to give in to you. I'm not going to give in to your discouragement. I'm not going to give in to your confusion. I'm not going to give in to, and you can go ahead and fill in the variety of, of blanks there, uh, and to walk in the power of the Spirit, to walk in the power of Christ, to know that you are a child of God, to know that you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, to know that... Uh, the Spirit of God is at work within you to know your value, to know that, that you were purchased with the most precious commodity of the blood of Christ and to live in that value. Now, let's get back over into the text here. I've had a little eyelash hanging in my eye here. Excuse me just a moment. Try to get that out. It says, these are the 12 he appointed, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. He often changes people's names, and he can change your name. He can change my name. You might have, let me just say this, you might have, 
in, in your life imprinted the name failure. Jesus gives you a new name of success. You might have written in your being not any good. Jesus gives you a new name of great value. Fill in the blank. You might have written in yourself, nobody likes me. Jesus has given you the new name. The God of all heaven loves you. You understand the new name? He gave the new name. He, he, he named Simon Peter. And then there it was, it goes on and says, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave the, them the name Boanjernes, which means sons of thunder, Philip, Andrew, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later on, and I'm adding that little later on, that later on would betray him. It says, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. He's appointed the twelfth. He's been at the lake. He's been at the mountain. He's in a house. Crowds follow. He is so busy interacting with people that it says that he was not even able to eat. Um, he is that busy. His family thought he was insane. His family saying, you got to take care of yourself. Yet little did the did his family understand how fulfilled and how filled he was by the ministry he was doing? Remember what he said in John chapter 4? I have bread to eat that ye know not of. That's King James translation, just for the record, that ye know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And, and sometimes when you're busy in ministry, I mean, there is hard sledding ministry that's just tough and difficult and tiring and exhausting, and you can't wait to, to get out of it because it is so tiring and so exhausting. Uh, but then there is also busy, busy ministry that is also tiring and exhausting, but, but it isn't sapping your energy. You're being filled and fulfilled in, in conducting and carrying out that ministry. Verse 21 said this, when his family heard about this, they went to the lake to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Why would they say such a thing that he is out of his mind? They're saying such a thing about him because he had all these crowds of people thronging around him. Uh, he had all this busyness at the lake, at the mountain, uh, at the house, and his family was concerned. And sometimes that happens to us as well. Now, Jesus will go on 
Uh, and I'm going to take us back over to Matthew chapter 5 and uh, to to see what that says. I, I noticed some comments. I want to go back and, and uh, interact with the comments here in just a moment. But in... Oops. That's why it doesn't look right. I'm in the wrong book. Matthew chapter 5. He's He gives the Beatitudes will come out of this time of teaching, uh, and we've already covered those in the earlier session. I'm going to come down to some of these other words about the salt and the light to, to re- remind us of uh, what was taught there. Now, let me go back over to the comments and see. Uh, Nell saying, it wasn't church just as being the church, ministering to my brother and his wife three weeks ago. They suddenly lost their firstborn son. Uh, I went knowing my church family prays for me when I'm not able to attend. Absolutely. And and uh, for anybody now or, or anybody, I mean, if you're going into a, a ministry situation like that, don't be afraid to shoot one of us a text or a message somehow and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this. Would you pray for me? So... Uh, but we do pray. Lord, we do pray for uh, Nell's brother, Nell's wife, not Nell's wife, Nell's brother and Nell's brother's wife um, who lost their firstborn son. And uh, we pray, Lord, for them that you would bring comfort and that you would draw them to the Comforter, Jesus. So we lift them to you, Lord, and continue to work through Nell. You work through Nell in such wonderful ways, and we're so thankful for her. Lord, for all of us, help us to to be available to the use of your Holy Spirit. That's our prayer in the name of Jesus. And we have uh, Priscilla reporting in this morning. I was caught up in yesterday's service and forgot to tune in this morning. Well, hopefully it was a good day for you, even though maybe last night on the Zoom aspect of things, there were some frustrations, but hopefully you had a a fantastic uh, time in the morning. Uh, And, I mean, you can go back and tune in to what was there, uh, anybody that maybe didn't see what was there. Now, there isn't a sermon. I mean, what you'd see is you're going to see music, and then you're going to hear some instruction. Then you're going to see people at tables studying the Bible together. Uh, And... uh, Really, they looked at John 1, and we did this particular study here among us. They looked at John 1 uh, and were considering all that said about the names and the nature of Jesus just in John 1. So if you weren't a part of that study and you want something to do here in a little bit when I get off the get off the, the broadcast, that is a study you could do. You You could... Go to John 1, and every place that it speaks about the the nature uh, and the names of Jesus, um, just write that down. Uh, You don't have to write down everything. Some groups started to get into nitty-gritty things of other other questions and things uh, yesterday during the study, but, but verse by verse, just saying, is there something in this verse about the name of Jesus? Is there something in this name? in this verse about the nature of Jesus and work down through that and um, be encouraged. So I, 
Priscilla saying I was doing the exercise for the past half hour. Well, hopefully it was uh, fortifying and it caused you to love Jesus better. Now, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to conclude with these few verses just as a reminder. He, In the midst of this sermon that he would be giving on the mount, he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a uh, people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now notice what it says. It says that they may see your good deeds. It doesn't say that they may hear your good words. It doesn't say that they might. Uh, it doesn't say that they might hear what you say. We let our we let our actions speak for themselves. That that people see our good works. That they see how we live for God. That they that they see how we help and love people. That they see how we give care to people, and that they then. Praise God in heaven as a result of us living the life of us being the salt. You ever eat some food that is just kind of bland tasting? It's just kind of, and that's kind of the way sometimes life can be every day. It's just kind of bland. But then you get around somebody that adds some flavor to your life. And, and, and that's what Christians should be able to do we should be able to bring out the flavor in life because we know how to thank God for all things. We should be able to bring out the flavor in life because we know how to experience the love of God in all things. We should be able to bring out the flavor of life because we understand that everything that we've been given is a gift from God. We should be able to bring out the flavor of life because we worship the God of all creation. You and I should add flavor to people's worlds as they encounter us because we look upward to God and look upward in thanksgiving and praise. That is, that is what we offer. We are the salt. And then also we are the light that people would see the light of Christ in us, that we would live with Jesus in such a way uh, that, that he would just kind of drip off of us. So that's my encouragement. I, I want to stop there for today. I want to encourage you to be salt, not to be salty, you know, in a negative way, but to be salty in a positive way. And I want to encourage you to be light, to let Christ light you up so that you can be the light of the world. Lord, help us today to walk in your strength, to walk in the new name that you have given us, to walk in your power, to overcome all the power of the evil one and of the world and of our own flesh, uh, and to walk with you. Lord, may we be salt. May we be light. May we encounter you, and may, as a result of our encounter with you, may others encounter you as well. That's our prayer, and Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. I'm going to get you into your day. Have a fantastic day, everyone. See you tomorrow.